0: Hello welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a North Side numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever did you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to CubsPSPlus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help you keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome to episode 43, the Don Schulze and Dennis Eckersley episode of this podcast. Today, let's talk about where the Cubs stand, both in terms of the game action on the field, the Cubs lost a tough one tonight, where they stand with regard to the trade deadline. The Cubs have looked like buyers, but even if things go south, does it make sense to sell? Let's jump in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. So I'm going to change plan a little bit tonight. This week I was all set to talk about the Carter Hawkins comments the other day and how everything and the way the Cubs are playing right now feed in the trade deadline. I'm still going to get into that. But as a weekly podcast, I don't often do game reactions. um, But I think the game tonight, the 3-1 loss to end this series sweep by Philadelphia, certainly warrants some discussion. So let's get into that, and then I'll get into some of the topic I had already lined up. So it's a little bit on the fly here, so bear with me. Um, but today, so the Cubs, since we last talked, the Cubs went to London. They got that big win in the first game. Hap hit a couple home runs. They blew the Cardinals out 9-1. to And Cubs are flying high at that point. They've won 11-13, and everything's looking great. They get out the next day on Sunday, early game well early game stateside and it was kind of cool to have Cubs baseball in the morning it was fun um they get out to four runs in the first not so much because they hit so well but uh St. Louis was sloppy and then the Cubs did also get some big hits to take advantage of those opportunities and then they came out and one of the more inexplicable plays of the year you know they, I don't have the game in front of me for the recap but basically there were two outs runner on third base runners of first and third I think and Ground ball, really to Nico Horner. I don't know what Trey Mancini was th- thinking. He made a break for the ball and then didn't really get exactly back to first base. He's kind of backpedaling to first base as Nico's throwing him the ball. And he looks up and he's trying to catch it barehanded as Strowman's coming over. It's a complete crap show. And we all know what happened. I mean, he tried to catch it barehanded. He dropped it. And Strowman gave up a hit. They wound up scoring three runs and in that inning. One thing I do want to address from this week, there's been a lot of and as Cubs fans, we do this, right? Like the we've seen the Cubs fall apart. I've been around, been watching since 82. So I saw the meltdown in San Diego in 1984. I was around for the playoff loss in 1989, but that was probably really just losing to a better team. I've seen the Cubs look promising and fall out of playoff races. I've seen the Alex Gonzalez game and what happened against the Marlins in 2003. Caught myself. I almost slipped on that one. And, you know, it's, as Cub fans, that's part of our lore. It's part of who we are. And, and there's a certain fatalism that, oh, my gosh, that was a terrible play. Momentum just swung. We are now screwed. And, I mean, it changed my momentum in that game for sure. But regardless of Trey Mancini's mistakes, he did drive in two of the runs in the first inning with a huge double to dead center. And then he got hit for the next inning. And he so he was out of the game with the Cubs leading 4-3. I get the momentum change. But I've seen comments everything from, well, the players just gave up at that point, or that was momentum they couldn't overcome, or because Mancini was playing first base, nobody trusts the coaches. Like, that's garbage. These guys are young, hungry baseball players that want to play. The older guys are. There are a number of guys on this team with rings, Mancini included. Um, you know, Mancini addressed it like a pro afterwards. He took the blame. He shouldered. You know, took the loss on himself. Um, he really shouldn't have to. It wasn't all on him. Um, love Strowman. He's had a great year. I'll talk more every episode until the trade deadline. The Cubs need to extend him, not certainly not trade him. But he didn't pitch well that day. He didn't have sharp stuff. Turns out it's because he had a blister, and and these things happen sometimes. The once the offense scored four, they didn't get anything else the rest of the game. And so it's not 100% on Trey Mancini. Now, changing momentum, sure. It was a terrible play. It was all the things I've seen reported. It was on athletic. It was not particularly smart. It was just a horrendous play, and, and nobody feels that more than Trey Mancini. Let's be real. Um, but if this team is going to unravel, completely fall apart, go in the tank, over a play like that, They were never going to win in the first place. Then this was just a team built that's mentally weak. That's all those things. But I don't think that's true. This team is going to be streaky. We've seen it. Get out quick. Get out hot April. Then they had a long slog and played some terrible baseball. They win 11 of 13. Like I say it over and over again, but you're not as good as you are on your best day. You're not as bad as you are on your worst. I've seen people say, well, I knew the Cubs were not going to keep up that streak. Well, of course they weren't going to keep up that streak. We went 11 to 13, that's 900 baseball. Who plays 900 baseball? You can do that for a week or two. Um, what I really want to see the Cubs do is I want to see them start settling into more consistency. I'd love to see them win three of five, five out of eight. Consistently, avoid long losing streaks. Maybe have a big streak in there somewhere. But if they continue to chip away, like nobody's running away with this division. It's just not happening. I mean, the the Reds are kind of streaking right now. They're young. They're hungry. They're a ton of fun. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz is tremendous. But it looks like they've lost Hunter Green for a while, and they're already thin on pitching, and he was probably their best pitcher. So, you know, they're not going to run away and hide. Milwaukee is almost as bad offensively as the Cubs. They have excellent pitching, but... I don't trust them to not sell a major piece at the deadline. I mean, they they were leading the division last year, and they traded Josh Hader. So I don't believe in Pittsburgh. I mean, if we all want to say this Cubs team is awful, they beat Pittsburgh six in a row. So, I mean, Pittsburgh's not a great team. So they just got to keep chipping away. But th- let's talk about today's game. So the Cubs come back from London, whether they're jet-lagged or they're just cold or... Whatever. I mean, Philly's hot. I mean, they're, they're hitting the ball hard. They've had good pitching pretty much all year. So it's not embarrassing to get beat by Philadelphia. But every game, the series, they came in and put runs up first. And today was no exception. So first pitch of the game, Kyle Schwarber, boom. Right field off Kyle Hendricks, one nothing Phillies. But then the Cubs come back in the bottom of the second. Cody Bellinger singles on the drive to Kyle Schwarber. And then with two outs, Jared Young comes up and hits another smash to right field. He's continues to hit the ball hard and wound up tripling on the play, bringing Cody Bellinger. So it's one, one got a brand new ball game. Then the Phillies string together some singles in the third, three straight singles they had three straight, but it was three singles in the third. Um, they wound up plating two. they take a three, one lead three run lead certainly didn't look good, but you know, the Cubs fought back yesterday. They were down seven, one wound up losing eight to five. Um, just get some runs and this can be a ball game and it looked like they were going to do just that. I mean, they came up in the bottom of the fourth and this is the, f- the first one I have an issue with. So, um, Dansby Swanson ground out, grounded out to lead off the inning. Cody Bellinger walked then Miguel Amaya singles. So now there's one out. We got runners at first and third. Jared Young strikes out. I'm not going to kill him for that. He's, he's looked pretty good at the plate so far. And then Nick Madrigal comes up and, you know, 2 outs, runner on third base. Who do we want up there? Nikki, 2 strikes, right? I mean, he's making a ton of contact. He had 3 hits last night, he had 2 hits the day before. He's swinging a good bat. He did, doesn't swing and miss often. But he bunts. 2 out bunt, and it was also a terrible bunt. Um maybe he saw something in the defense. I think I think the team had discussed some defensive orientations that Philly had and some of them might allow themselves to be bunting situations, but that's not a place where you can do that. In the post game, David Ross said Madrigal did it on his own that he lost track of the outs. He thought there was only one out. Um, You got to know the situation. I mean, I've also seen people commenting that the coaches have to be telling the players that there's two outs. Well, right before him, Jared Young strikes out. I can guarantee you, At least six defenders were turning around in the field, yelling two outs, holding up their fingers. They're getting it from the dugout. It's on the scoreboard. Like Maybe a certain coach could have said something, um, but Nick just has to know there's two outs. Um, I deal with that with Little Leaguers, and most of the time they don't get it wrong. So we all make mistakes, so I'm not trying to pile on Nick. He's had a good run here, but that was just terrible baseball. It was a bad bunt and then you're out of a scoring opportunity. So then the Cubs go out in the fifth. Kyle gets a one-two-three inning. So, all right, let's, let's get some runs. Let's do it again. And then Talkman reached base when Kyle Schwarber just, I don't know, took his eyes off the ball, I think, looking for the wall or maybe with the center fielder coming over. Dropped the ball. Nico Horner singles. Now it's, it's first and third, nobody out. Christopher Morrell is up. I mean, this is what we want. Morell's one of the guys who's been hitting the ball really well. He's really been having a good play approach lately. Been I mean, one of my favorite at bats this entire series. Was yesterday he was up with the bases loaded, fell behind 0-2, and you could just see the pitcher was throwing pitches that Morell would often chase, and he didn't chase. He took a couple really close ones. There was, I think it was pitch four was just below the zone, and I thought that was going to be close enough to get him rung up, but it didn't. And he went from 0 2 to a bases loaded walk driving in a run. I mean, on the one hand, I'd love to see Morrell, you know, smack something off the fence, but that's a really good at bat for him and something that's really important for his career development. So I love that at bat. I love morell coming up in this situation. First and third, nobody. Out. I mean, the worst case scenario at this point is he hits a hard ground ball. They turn two, but that still brings in a run and makes it a 3 2 game. So there's, you know, very little that can go wrong, but. It happened anyway. What do you do? Yep, Bunt it again. Now the post game on. And now that one was pretty inexplicable. He's One of your power hitters up. You don't want to bunt in that situation. Um, they talked through it. They talk through the, you know, scoring probabilities, and technically the scoring probabilities go up with runners on second and third and one out as opposed to first and third with nobody out but then they fall quickly once if the next hitter doesn't get a hit because then you're down you two outs runner second third you're at about a 0.6 um, scoring probability but Ross again after the game said that that was a batter decision that you know that was that was not a bunt play put on by the coaches um, it may have now Morell's still a young kid he's learning and that's what um, Ross pointed to um, I think Morrell was just trying to help the team move a runner around. But even watching it, and the announcers called it this way too, um, I don't care. Anybody can blame Ross for whatever they want. That's fine. But when I was watching that real time, and then on the replay too, you could see Talkman on third base. You know, if, if you're going to call bunt in that situation, you're going to do one of two things. You're either straight bunting for a base hit. You're... Running a safety squeeze, or you're running a suicide squeeze. Well, Talkman certainly did not try to steal home, so it was not a suicide squeeze. Um, Morell squared up more like a sacrifice bunt than a bunt for a base hit. And if you watch Talkman come off third base, he really doesn't come off like it's a safety squeeze. Like you're, if that's a called play, that third base, that runner at third base is going to come down hard, not hard enough that they get picked but they're going to come down hard so that if that bunt looks like it's at the right angle you've got some momentum and you're going to go home. That didn't happen. So I do I do believe Ross, when he says that was an individual player call, it was the wrong call. And honestly, between the two bunts, I have way more of an issue with Morels than Madrigals. Madrigals was dumb and it was a bad bunt, and I will not defend the decision. But Nick in that situation, maybe trying to surprise him, bump for a base hit, maybe not literally the worst play in the world, but um. Taking Morel's big bat out of play for a sacrifice punt at that point, um, not great. And then of course the Cubs didn't score. Hap hit an absolute smash, but it was right at the second baseman, so there was no opportunity to do anything there. And then uh, Dansby got called out looking, so uh, no run scored. And that was that was really probably the last time they seriously challenged. I mean, the Cubs had, um, you yeah. know, an- another weird thing tonight was the outfield. The, the sky—it may be because of the smoke coming in from Canada, but there were. There were a lot of misplays in the outfield tonight that uh, we don't typically see. I mean, Schwarber did have a read on the ball, and maybe he just dropped it or maybe he got distracted by the wall. But then, you know, Brandon Marsh is an excellent center fielder typically, and he, you could tell he kind of wasn't sure where the ball was and then came in and, I don't know if he got there late or something, but it bounced off his glove. I don't know exactly what happened at the end. But early in the play, it did look like he was having trouble tracking the ball. And then Hap had a couple in left field that he really didn't, Look, the one he completely missed, he just couldn't find it and landed over his head for a ground rule double. And then another one, he looked a little shaky on getting to it. And then he d- did wind up making a nice play. So it's not like, you know, it was terrible out there, but there were some weird things going on. Um, but that's, this was kind of a bad loss. I mean, I'm well, not kind of a bad loss. It was a bad loss. You got a good start from Kyle. Um, went seven innings, gave up three runs. I will take that every single time. Um, this, this one's not on Kyle. Um, just more lack of offense, and that's it's frustrating with this team. So especially with the lack of power, um, Patrick Wisdom has was cold before he got hurt. He's been out for almost two weeks now. I think June 16th was the last time he played. Um, he still leads the team with 14 home runs. I think he had 14 home runs like by May 1st. Um, Christopher Morrell is come on strong, but I think he's still at 13. He, he might be at 14 now. I can't remember for sure. Um, I should have that number in front of me, but I don't. And, but there's just not a lot of power on this team. You know, Dansby Swanson, Seiya Suzuki, Ian Happ, none of those guys have double digit home runs and we're about to hit July. So when that's the case, you have to put hit after hit after hit together, string walks and hits, that kind of thing. And the Cubs have done that for stretches. They did that in April. They did that, really really well through the, you know, the winning 11 of 13. But right now this team has to get better on offense. Uh, This week was kind of starting pitching for the first two games. And I'm not going to worry a ton about that. Um, I was going to talk a little bit today about Tyone. So I'll get to that in a second, but like I, I thought the Drew Smiley start, he just didn't have his best stuff and he got knocked around a little bit. And that's, you know, frankly, the first, most of the first two months of the season, he was pitching significantly above expectations. So he's going to quote unquote regress to the mean because he's not a, he's probably not going to end the year with a, a full season of starting pitching work and as you know, two and a half ERA. So he'll have some games like this and then he'll have games, you know, where he goes back and throws well again. I'm not, I'm not worried about him long term. Jamison Tyone. I'm, I'm seeing more, more flashes, I guess. Um, you know, he got hit early, gave up, a couple of really hard hit balls led to a run in the first. And then, you know, Brandon Marsh hit a couple home runs off him. But after that Marsh home run, the first Marsh home run, you know, he sat down seven in a row. He went through a couple innings where outside of just a couple mistake pitches, he really, I, I thought he looked about as good as he's looked since he's come over. Um, which I'm not saying a ton because he's looked terrible most of the time, but I was looking at Tyone's page on, baseball savant and looking at the stat cast data. One of the things I've seen is he's thrown his four seamer a little bit less this year. He was about a little over 35% last year, and this year he's thrown at about 31%. Um, he's thrown the cutter a little more, throwing the sweeper more. Um, one thing I did see, you know, he's not throwing the sweeper at all to lefties. He's not throwing the changeup at all to righties, so he's he is doing a good job of avoiding those pitches that kind of break into where the hitter can see it based on their handedness. Um, but what's really getting him killed this year, it seems like, is the cutter. I and mean, I talked about this earlier, and it's kept up. Um, but it's really, it's not fluky either. So he's, you know, against right-handers, right-handers are hitting 357 on the cutter and slugging 571. Lefties are hitting 394 and slugging 667. And then lefties are also killing the four seam and um, 310 average and 762 slug. And one of the things, especially with the four seam, if you look at his pitch chart. There's a lot of middle middle miss, a lot. Um, I think he's trying to get that pitch up, uh, but he's not getting it up high, up high enough. If you look, there's you know big red zone just above middle middle, and then it goes up from there. <clears throat> so he's got to locate that pitch better. Um, when you look at luck, you know quote unquote luck uh, in terms of deviations from what you would expect to see. Right-handers against the sweeper are hitting two ninety-five and slugging 477. But if you look at the expected batting average and the expected slug, based on what he's done this year, the expected average is 190 and the expected slug is 303. So he's getting a little bit of bad luck on on righties on the sweeper. And I think we've seen that. I've seen quite a few times this year where he's in a jam and a right-hander will go poke a pitch that they're reaching at, be off balance, you know, they're, they're out front, but they'll bloop it over second base. Um, I would expect over time that's going to kind of regress to the mean. Um, On the flip, though, again with right-handers, he's actually been a little bit lucky on his four-seamer. So, right-handers are hitting 176 and slugging 235 on his four-seam right now. But if you look at the expected average and expected slug, it's expected 357 and uh, 601 for slug. So I would, you know, if if all things stay the same, I would expect that sweeper to get to become a better and better pitch against righties, and I would expect that. Fast, the four-seamer probably get a little bit less, but you know you can do that by mess the you can do that by messing with the pitch mix a little bit. Um, the lefty stuff though is pretty pretty on. Um, you know the numbers are just bad. Lefties are killing him. He's he's got to really just has to locate better. I mean, when, when he's getting hit, he's getting hit middle middle, and so it doesn't really matter what pitch you call if you get it middle middle, it's going to get crushed. Um, one thing I will say the... Nothing about Tyone's numbers, really, other than what I pointed out are really all that unlucky. Um, <clears throat> he did have some bad luck in that Houston game when Morrell couldn't make that catch on left field that led to four runs, but but one thing, and this is anecdotal, I don't have a way to go back and look at it, but it really seems to me like when, when he misses middle-middle, hitters aren't missing that pitch. You'll see guys when they're on a run, you know, Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, Steele will get away with it sometimes. You know, you throw in middle-middle and, the batter's just late on it or they under it, which probably means they're late. They top it, whatever, beat it into the ground. And that's just not happening. When he makes a mistake, it's getting crushed. Um, so he'll continue to grind the, one of the things Carter Hawkins said is that, you know, they see him as part of the rotation. He's going to stay there. And one thing I'm holding out some hope for is one, Jameson Tyone has a long track record of being a productive major league starting pitcher. Um, unless he's, pitching through an injury or something like that, he should be able to find it at some point. I also look back and two varying degrees, John Lester, Yu Darvish and Marcus Stroman, the three biggest starting pitcher acquisition free agent acquisitions, the Cubs have made during this kind of championship era, all got out of the gates bad. You know, Lester was, had a rough first half in, in uh, 2015 came on, got better. His, his, his First half was not as rough as Tyone's, but he came in with higher expectations too. And then Marcus Stroman last year, between injuries and his own struggles, he had like a four six nine ERA in the first half. Now he settled in; he was very good down the stretch, and then he's been excellent this year. So I'm, I'm hoping that you know Tyone will follow that. You Darvish, um, a lot of it was injury issues, and then with the whole Astros cheating scandal, you know there were thoughts about that he was tipping his pitches. So I think he was playing with mechanics. But he came in and he was. That first year, he was really rough before he went down, missing most of the year for an injury. Um, so, uh, would just have to hold out hope. I mean, they got Tyone for four years, $68 million, so they're not going to DFA him soon. Um, <clears throat> at some point, if it continues, they may have to think about using him in the bullpen. He doesn't have options. So, you know, where the Cubs go from here, and one of the things I want to talk about today, and... So, in the intro, I talked about it being episode 43, the Don Shulze and Dennis Eckersley episode. And the reason I did that is I was going to talk about trades. And we'll, now we'll get into what I think about where the Cubs stand as they hit in the All Star break and then start looking towards the trade deadline. You know, when in 1984, you know, last week I talked about the Ryan Sandberg game, June 23rd, 1984. Well, 10 days before that, the Cubs were surprisingly in first place. Record was 34 and 25, and they needed more pitching. So they went out and decided to go trade. That was a huge trade. Don Schultz was not the centerpiece of the trade, but he wore number 43, so I'm going to count it. They trade Don Schultz, Mel Hall, and future Hall of Famer Joe Carter to Cleveland for Rick Sutcliffe. Well, Rick Sutcliffe, George Frazier, and catcher Ron Hasse. Um, Frazier was useful in the bullpen that year. Hasse gave Jody Davis a break from time to time. But the real get was Rick Sutcliffe. He had been a really good pitcher in LA and then in Cleveland and the Cubs got him to settle out and take that top of the rotation spot. And boy, did he ever, I mean, they made that trade and Sutcliffe went 16, one the rest of the year. He won the clincher to put them in the playoffs for the first time in 39 years. And incidentally 84 was the first time the Cubs had made the playoffs in 39 years. Right now we're 39 years away from 1984. So in addition to feeling really old right now, there's a little bit of symmetry there. Um, and then just a, a few weeks before the Cubs had traded Bill Buckner to Boston uh, for Mike Eckersley or for Dennis Eckersley and Mike Brumley. And so they, they brought in Eckersley as a starter and he famously, you know, he pitched with them. He was, he was a good solid starting pitcher in their rotation for a few years. And um, in 1987, I've heard reports. I didn't go back and look them up today. Cause I don't really want to get into the, that make that story a key topic. But um, the Cubs had been interested in in putting Eckersley in the bullpen and he was resistant to it. Of course, the Cubs trade him to Oakland for a bunch of nobodies. And he does wind up obviously becoming a Hall of Fame closer. He was kind of the baddest closer in baseball for probably five or six years, uh, maybe even longer. So I wanted to do that to kind of set the talk about trading. So the Cubs right now are – they are five games under 500. Let me bring the standings up. The Cubs are five games under 500. They're five games out of first. So we've got Cincinnati, Milwaukee tied at first. Pittsburgh has moved back half game ahead of the Cubs. They're four and a half out. And then the Cardinals remain in last place. So, so when you're trying to decide whether to go all in on trades or go all out on trades, well, the Cubs have said they like to trade. Jed wants to trade at the deadline. He wants to be a seller. He wants to be a buyer or at least making some moves in the middle ground to try to get the team better for this year and or posturing for future seasons. So the Cubs have to evaluate a few things. You know, where are they in the division race? Where are they in the wild card race? How does the schedule look? How are we playing right now? What kind of players are we going to be losing in the offseason that may warrant being shipped out? And the Cubs are in a spot right now. So in London, Tom Ricketts came out and said, Hey, we're absolutely buyers right now, unless things go really in the tank. And of course now they come home and they've lost four games in a row and, and, look kind of bad doing it. Um, I think obviously Tom wants to buy. And I know Tom has a reputation for a lot of fans want to say he's cheap and all the, you know, ever since biblical losses and some of the things that happened early when, Theo was in charge before the Cubs won the World Series. If you look at what he's done since what Tom Ricketts has done since about 2015, when the Cubs have been good, there's been money available at the deadline to trade and add pieces. Um, in fact, one of the things probably that hastened the end of this run as much as anything is I think in some cases Theo got a little too aggressive covering some organizational flaws with trades, kind of gutted the farm system a little too much, and they weren't able to get a second championship. But I have also seen, if you look at what Tom Ricketts says and what happens, there is often virtual complete truth there. You know, the one time I think he really stepped in and froze Jed on budget was coming out of 2020. Again, with the, if, if he's going to get out in front of reporters and talk about, quote unquote, biblical losses— That's not an offseason where they're going to spend a lot of money. That's not going to be an offseason where Jed has a lot of extras at his disposal. Um, We cannot like Tom's decision or the fact that he talked about it at all, but that was a signal of what was going to happen for at least that season. And that led to the Udarvis trade because that was a chance for Jed to free up a bunch of cash that he could use to add other pieces. Um, tried to bring in a few guys to try to help that team. But really that was, that was also the start of the teardown. So then 2021, he trades off Javi and Rizzo and KB and then, you know, bullpen guys like Chafin and Tapera. Um And that continued through last year, but all off season this year, there were pointers saying that the Cubs were willing to spend. Again, we can all argue about whether the Cubs spend enough. I would have liked to see them do a little more, but, um, but I think they did spend a lot of money and made this team better. But, you know, that goes back to Scott Boris at the winter meeting saying, I forget, the the Tom-Tom drum was beating again or whatever crazy analogy, phraseology he used on that. But Scott Boris is typically he's doing it for his own best interest and for his client's best interest. That's why he's the best agent in the game. But he's usually not just making stuff up out of thin air. And the Cubs did. They signed Dansby Swanson to... $177 million contract. And they added a bunch of other pieces, Tyone for $68 million. Again, you know, we can debate whether they spent well, um, but those decisions have been made and we have the team we have. And Tom has said all along that money will be there if Jed needs it. He said throughout the offseason that there was more money on the table for Jed to use. And it was up to Jed to decide whether or not he wanted to use it. So on the one hand, there's a little bit of, business side, baseball side going at each other a little bit, but it actually makes some sense because I think, I do think if you look at the moves he's made, I think Jed is a fairly conservative, take my time, look at the data, decide when I feel like, feel like I have to kind of decision maker. Um, I don't know enough about Carter Hawkins yet to know, um, where he sits, but he made some comments today. We'll get into in a minute. Um, that I think really point out that he's a similar kind of thinker. So they want to build, let's preface this too. I've seen the Cubs are doing what they want to do. They wanted to build a team that would sell at the deadline. That's garbage. They wanted to win. Now this team was not in a position to add enough to compete with the top of the league to go for a world series win, but this is a weak ass division. And they're still in the hunt. They're five out. They've got a, one of the friendlier schedules in the second half of any team in baseball. And they're certainly not out of it. So they, they have to decide where they are. They want to win. But there's also still a recognition of if we don't win or if it doesn't look like we're going to win, what do we do? And that's where I look at this team and you know, coming into the season, you're like, well, if everything goes south, but... You know, Cody Bellinger is back to something like his early Dodgers form. You know, that's a guy who you flip at the deadline. If the team's out of it or whatever, you know, maybe you trade Marcus Stroman. But since the start of the season, the Cubs have made a number of moves. They've extended Ian Happ and they've extended Nico Horner. So now for the next three seasons after this one, you have Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, Justin Steele, Jamison Tyone, and then whatever young players emerge out of you know the Morells the PCAs the Hayden Wisneskis all those guys you've got those guys locked up for 3 years so that kind of becomes your core to win and the group you want to keep so if if you find if you decide you're not going to win this year or you don't think you have a great shot and that's going to take more than just these 3 losses i mean the cubs are going to go play Cleveland, then they've got four against Milwaukee, and then they finish with the Yankees before the All-Star break. And then coming out of the All-Star break, they've got more games with the Cardinals, on and on and on. I mean, they're going to have opportunities to get back in this race. But if all of a sudden, this is when they have that 10-11 game losing streak and they fall way out of it, it's a more complex question now because the Cubs, you know, this time last year, the Cubs were had been out of it for two months already, and they didn't really have any kind of established core you could look and see that okay we've got Strowman for maybe a couple more years if he doesn't opt out we've got Seiya Suzuki for you know last year plus four Um, but Wilson Contreras was probably going to go it looked like Ian Happ was going to go and he didn't Um, you had some young players that might be pieces but you didn't really have those pieces in place to say okay here's our here's our group here's what we're going to try to build with now they do So I think the Cubs have to be serious about winning. I mean, they're a big market team with a lot of money and regardless of what you think about their payroll, they are pretty close to the luxury tax threshold right now. (coughs) Um, They've got some room. sounds like Tom Ricketts is also willing to go over, which makes sense because if you look at it from Tom's perspective, as let's take the most cynical business corporate view, right? They've got a sports book that just opened on Tuesday. That's attached to the stadium. And they're also working on launching a marquee network direct to consumer option in July. So you're going to take your flagship baseball network and you want fans to subscribe directly instead of going through, you know, everybody won't have to go through cable company at that point point. and you're going to sell off all the pieces. Like that's horrible business. Like the marketing is almost impossible at that point. And last year we saw the worst attendance at Wrigley in 25 years. Now this year it's up because the Cubs have been playing better. They've got more exciting players on the field. Um, but if it's another sell off, if, if let's say the Cubs took the worst possible scenario and sold this thing to the f- as far back as they could, they trade Marcus Stroman, they trade Cody Bellinger, they trade Jan Gomes, they trade Julian Merriweather, they trade Michael Fulmer. You know, just on and on and on and take this down. So basically, you have Hap, Nico, and Saya, and Dansby, and a bunch of rookies. You know, it's not going to sell product. And plus, that would be three straight sell offs after a point where Jed said that he didn't think the teenagers they got in the U Darvish trade were an indication of the Cubs' timeline. That's just terrible messaging. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that would begin to put Jed's and Carter's newish. I don't know if Carter would be seen as somebody to take over after Jed, but that would certainly be the kind of stuff that would potentially start to put Jed on the hot seat and put his job on the line. So when you look, when you look through the roster, you know, Marcus Stroman has the opt out. You know, he's obviously already pushing for an extension. I think it's likely he would opt out. Frankly, probably be fairly dumb not to, Um, the Cubs have him next year on a player option for $25 million, um, 23, six against the luxury, um, the, against the CBT. But if he's going to opt out, you are going to have to do better than that to keep him. Sorry, I did the wrong. That's what he makes this year. Next year's player options for $21 million, um, He's still 23-6 against the CBT because that's an average per year value. So that $21 million is a decrease in pay from what he's made the last two. Of course, he's going to opt out, especially with the year he's having, unless something drastically changes in the second half. So the Cubs could trade him. The Cubs, um, one of the guys talked about a lot is Cody Bellinger. They signed him on a one-year prove-it deal. And honestly, after April... He's looks like maybe he's starting to come around a little bit right now, but he's not hit. Well, I mean, his, you know, WRC plus in June was in Tucker Barnhart territory. Um, I know there's some injuries in play, but he really has not been great since about mid may. And actually really since early May, then he got hurt. He missed almost a month, but you know, so I don't even know where his trade value is right now. He played center field tonight, which was good to see. I mean, The other thing with Cody Bellinger's trade value is if he can be that really good defensive center fielder and the lefty power bat, that's a huge amount of value. If his knee is not right and he can't play center field that much and he really has to play first base only, that's going to limit his trade value too. So you have to look at these guys and decide, first of all, do I want to trade? And then if I do trade, is it worth it? Am I going to get enough back to make it worth it? punting on this season and all the things that come that we just walk through, you know, by lessening the, this team's chances to win. And I just don't, I don't, I don't know where Cody Bellinger's trade value is right now. I'm not sure it's that high. Marcus Stroman's is high, but the one, the other thing you have to look at too is, okay, if you decide you're out of it this year, awesome. Maybe it doesn't matter. Cause you're going to go add more pieces next off season, but you have to be careful what you get rid of. So Marcus Stroman's a guy who said he wants to stay. Fans love him. Honestly, his they built their defense for his style of pitching and Kyle Hendricks and Justin Steeles too, but he is probably a better pitcher in Chicago with Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson and a good defensive center fielder behind him than he would be a lot of other places because he gets a lot of those weak ground balls and those guys just hoover them up all day long. So if you trade Marcus Stroman... Sure, there's a chance that the Cubs could sign him back in the offseason. But once you trade him, there's no guarantee he takes the opt out with the other team. He may wind up in some place he loves. Maybe they almost get to a championship and he's like, you know what? I'm going to run this back. I'm going to go ahead and stick to my deal and try to go win a ring. Or he just hits the market. And then once we saw last offseason, once guys hit the market, I mean, everybody was projecting seven, eight years, you know, for. Xander Bogarts. And all of a sudden the Padres come in off the top rope with the 11 year, $300 million deal. So once he's out there, you don't know what people are going to offer. He is 32. Um, and he's a pitch contact pitcher. So that is going to limit his upside a little bit. And in terms of, you know, who's willing to maybe come down from the, come off the top rope with a five, six, seven year deal for, you know, $150, 200000000 million. Like, I don't think he's going to see that money. Um, but I could see him getting 26, 28 million, maybe as high as 30 million per year. If it's a shorter contract, maybe like a three thirty or something up to like a, I don't know, five, five, years, 28 would come out to like $130 million. I, I think he's going to be kind of in that range somewhere. Um, drew smiley is a guy that can trade. Um, he would have some trade value. Certainly as a lefty, he's pitched well as a starter and out of the, out of the bullpen. He was a, key bullpen arm for the Braves on their championship run a couple years ago. But after that, (coughs) there's just not a ton to sell. Like I'm looking at their roster on, um, Sputrack with their contract info, you know, their Stroman, um, say Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Jameson Tyone are not going to be traded. Kyle Hendricks is tradable. He's got a team option next year that I don't think the Cubs are going to pick up the option, but I think there's a pretty good chance that they're going to, if he keeps pitching like this, there's a good chance that they're going to certainly negotiate to keep around Chicago. Um, I've not heard anything indicate he wouldn't want to stay. He's basically, I know the Cubs traded for him, but the, he's basically played his whole career in Chicago. Trey Mancine, he's not tradable. Jan Gomes is tradable, but for $6 million on a team option for next year and a young catcher in Amaya, with, you know, Hayden McGeary coming up the system fast. I'm not sure why you'd trade Gomes. I think he's, <clears throat> more valuable as that mentor and, and hopefully Amaya's backup next year than he is as a whatever you get for him this year. Um, But look through, I mean, Michael Fulmer, you probably get some stuff for him. He had a really rough start to the season, but he's been really good uh, the last, like, month. Really since, like, May, May 27th, he's given up one earned run. So he's, he's tradable. After that, though, it gets really thin. I mean, Mark Leiter, Jr., Julian Merriweather are guys. Hey, they're bullpen arms we could trade, but why would you trade them? They're both, I know, Lighters 32, Merriweather's 31, but they're pre arb. If they're pitching well and, you know, Leiter's got that nasty split that everybody that's right now the sweeper is the hot pitch, but they were talking about on the broadcast tonight, you know, the, the splits and other pitch that people are looking and trying to add and and maybe would be the next hot pitch. Um, Julian Merriweather is just throwing smoke right now. Um, so, they could trade and get some stuff back for them. But again, like you start to hurt next year because you can go into next year with Marcus Stroman with lighter in your bullpen with Meriwether in your bullpen for basically nothing. I mean, next off season will be Julian Merriweather's first ARB season, but given that he's been, you know, league minimum player, a couple years of service time until this year, hadn't really, I mean, he got put on the Cubs, claimed him off waivers from, toronto in the off season so he's, he's not somebody who's put up a big pass so i mean he'll get a nice bump um maybe up around a million million and a half next year from seven hundred and thirty-seven thousand. but you know he's not going to make big money same with lighter so i don't know why you would trade those guys if you're looking at a contention window in the next few years um the only other guys you know nico horner and nick madrigal are the only guys Currently in arb, technically this season was Ian Hap's third arb year, but now he's locked up, so that's done. And actually, Nico Horner's not in arb anymore either with his extension that locks everything up. So Nick Madrigal is the only person right now who's currently in arb that would be in line for a raise next year. So I think they're kind of in a situation where they're—it's not really a whole lot of choice. I mean, the only guy that's really going to get them big return is Stroman, and that hurts next year. So I really don't expect them to trade. I know I've seen some people really wanting them to, but I just don't think it makes sense. I don't, unless the market for Bellinger is better than I think it is, or if he turns it on over the next few weeks and makes it bigger than it is right now, I just don't know if even trading him is worth it. You know, when the, let's look back and the Cubs traded Jock Peterson for Bryce Ball. Nothing against Ball. He's had some good minor league seasons. He's in double A and he's just, He's organizational depth, and at some point he he may spend some time in major leagues covering an injury, make it trade somewhere else. But if that's the caliber of player the Cubs are going to get back for Cody Bellinger, what's the point? Just keep Cody and hope things get hot in the second half. Um, the mistakes that were made were largely made this offseason. There continue to be roster construction issues. Um, and one of the things that Carter talked about this week and was going to be the the kind of lead topic of this episode was what he looks at for decision making. Like he goes in and he wants as much information as possible to make a decision, which is totally fine. That that's how life is. That's how I am. If I'm buying a car, looking at a house, or trying to decide, you know, do I want to take a new job or do I want to start a podcast? Like I want to get all the information I can to make the best possible decision. Makes total sense. And then Carter was talking about how there are reversible decisions and irreversible decisions. So when the Cubs saw Nick Madrigal not going so well, they can option him to Iowa because he has he came into the season with three option years left. You can send him down if you decide you know he has to wait 10 days unless there's another injury. But if you wait those 10 days and decide that was a mistake or now he's fixed something, you can reverse that move. You can call him right back up. Cubs have done that with – Javier Assad multiple times, Miles Mastroboni multiple times, Nelson Velasquez multiple times, Edwin Rios a couple times. I mean, those are guys you can bring up, send down. It's maybe not great for their development, but, you know, it is what it is, and that's, that's kind of the game of uh, Major League Baseball. The non-reversible decisions or the irreversible decisions are DFAs, trades. You know, the Cubs make a trade and send somebody, you know, the... I think the Mets, if they could reverse it, would reverse that PCA trade a hundred times. But once you make a, once you trade a player, he's no longer yours. Once you put a guy um, on irrevocable waivers, he's either going to get traded or released or something. So it makes sense that that's why you don't see a lot of players. if, If they're a fringe, you know, deep bench player and they're off to a bad start, maybe they get cut or sent down. But, you know, if you go sign a free agent in the off season and the free agent, gets off to a terrible start, like Trey Mancini, Eric Hosmer. Actually, Trey Mancini wasn't that bad early. He, he got cooler late, but Eric Hosmer, Tyone. You just don't see teams cutting guys like that in the first month of the season. You want to get some sample size in there. You want to see if you can get things right. There's there's no clear magic number, but it seems you know, kind of a six weeks, 100-plate 100, 100 appearances, five, six starts kind of thing It's kind of the floor because you don't want to, oh my God, this guy looks terrible. Let's get rid of him. And then he promptly signs with another team for the league minimum. And then he suddenly is the guy you thought you signed because he just got off to a bad start. Or maybe he was putting too much pressure on himself in the new city or whatever the reason. So you do that. And now as you go to the deadline, the Cubs have not been – I'm sure there are calls being made all the time. I don't think that any GM in baseball right now is just sitting around doing nothing. I mean, they're looking at data, they're sending scouts out, they're doing all kinds of things. But right now there kind of is no trade market. I mean, if you look at the standings and bring them up here, yeah, let's go National League first. I mean, probably the Cardinals could still be considered in the race if they really want to be aggressive and make some changes. Probably not, but, you know, nine and a half out in this division, teams have come back for more. The big issue there is they're trailing four teams that have a significant jump on them. But, you know, Atlanta is probably on the verge of running away with East, but Miami, Philadelphia are very much in the wild-card race. Washington's out. The Mets are looking more and more out every day. Um, at 36 and 45, but in the West, you know, the Arizona is a surprising division leader. The Dodgers are two and a half back. San Francisco is two and a half back. San Diego has been a bit of a disaster this year, like the Mets, but, and they're 10 and a half out of the division, but they're still kind of in shot for the wild card. And they're still super talented. Colorado's done. They're out. And you look at the AL East, like every team, you know, Baltimore's kind of hanging with Tampa Bay. They're five and a half out. I think those are probably the two teams if anybody's gonna catch Tampa in the east, it's gonna be Baltimore. But the other except for maybe Boston, who's now falling under five hundred, the other teams are still in play for the wild card. In the Central, you know, it's a crappy division again, like the like the NL Central, but you know, Kansas City is dead. Everybody else is within five games of first place. So they're all fighting for something. And then in the West, you've got Texas as a bit of a surprise leader. Um, then Houston, the Angels are five and six games out. And Seattle's 10 out. You know, Seattle's kind of been a big disappointment this year, but they could still get back into at least the wild card race. So right now it's hard to even know what's available on the market. I think it's safe to say Colorado, Washington, Kansas City, Oakland, are maybe St. Louis. I don't even think St. Louis is going to sell, but... You know, there are about four or five teams right now that are clear sellers. There are going to be a few more that you know fall out of it further as we get to the all-star break and, and, and a couple weeks beyond. But at this point, Detroit. They're 35 and 45. So the record would say they're sellers. But they're four games out of first place in a division where nobody's running away and everybody is looking pretty flawed. So do they think they have the talent? I mean, they th- they acquired a bunch of guys in free agency last year. Do they think they have enough to go add a couple pieces and take a shot. Like, I don't think any of those teams are going to be big adders, but it may mean that you know, like Javi Baez has a, he's not having a great season. He's had some hot and cold streaks, but on the whole, he's not been great. Um, would they trade him because he has an opt out this off season? No, no. Javi Baez has not been that great. So I don't know that he'll take his opt out because I don't know if he would be able to match that money on the, out on the market, but you know, that's going to play in their decision. Do they want to trade a guy like that, or just keep him and see if they get hot for a couple months? So it is early, and that's what that's what Jed's talking about. And they're also talking about waiting to make that decision. Like it was clearly time to cut Hosmer, and in retrospect, they could have done it earlier. I think you know we've also seen some talk about Amaya. Like, why didn't he break with the team? Well, I don't know that. You know, Tucker Barnhart's not the guy I would have picked in the offseason. I talked about that before. I don't know why there wasn't more action or talk with Christian Vasquez. But I don't. If I thought I had a chance to win this season, I would not have gone into opening day with Amaya as the backup catcher for Jan Gomes. Nothing against Amaya. like it, His game is clearly solid. I mean, he was a top 50 prospect in baseball in 2018, 2019. He was. The top, or maybe second to Braylon Marquez, in terms of the best prospect in the Cubs system. But he last played a full season in 2018. You know, he had some injuries that shortened 2019. He didn't play in 2020. Then early in the 2021 season, he tore his UCL, so he had Tommy John surgery, which took him out until last mid to late July, I believe. But even even then, like Bryce Harper's doing now in Philly, he was really just DHing. He didn't catch – he may have caught one or two games at the very end of the year, but he really didn't catch at all regularly until the Arizona Fall League, and that's not the same as a Major League Baseball season. So to to come in with him, even with his raw tools, as, hey, he's our backup catcher and we're not going to have another veteran to go to with this young pitching staff, I I think that would have been a short-sighted move. Now, Tucker Barnhart came in as a guy with a reputation for not hitting – and he's hit even less than he typically does, which is not great, but, you know. David Ross came in in 2015 and really hit very, very poorly, but played a good catcher, and then he hit in 2016. Now we'll see. Tucker Barnhart also doesn't make a ton of money. He's got a player option next year for 3.25. That's, I think there's no doubt he's going to take it, unless the Cubs DFA him before that and and pay pay whatever the buyout is. But, you know. That's not money that's going to stop them from doing anything. It's a drop of the bucket. So I think there are decisions that could have been made differently, would have been made differently, certainly if I was running the team, but that doesn't matter. So now they have to look at the roster they have and what are we going to do? I don't think selling makes sense. There may be some limited sell. I think Nick Madrigal is a guy who, as well as he's played at third base, he's been better than I thought he would be. He's still not a guy I, think, I don't think – projects as a regular everyday third baseman. I mean, he's fine on the routine plays and he's actually got pretty good hands. If it's hit near him, he will field it pretty well. Um, but he just does not have the arm. I mean, he's playing a shallow third base and the reason he's doing that is we can get the ball faster and have time to you know take the shuffle steps and get a good throw off to first base. Um, he's not a guy who can be super effective playing deep third base moving down the line and, you know, you move two steps to your, you know, Nick Madrigal moves two steps to his arm side to get a ball going down the line and gets it with his momentum going into foul territory. He just doesn't have the arm to make that throw to first base. So he's a guy who I see, I could see having trade value and he, he wouldn't be a sell or buy guy. He might be a guy where you find, um, I don't know how they line up. I haven't looked at the trade values yet, but um, I've seen a lot of talk about the Cubs bringing Jamer Candelario back from Washington because they're out of it. He's a free agent after the season, having a pretty decent year, good glove. Um, you know, maybe Nick Madrigal is a kind of player that Washington can plug in, let him play every day, play second base, lead off, um, whatever, whatever it is. There are there is a team out there are teams out there that have a need for that and would value that. So maybe there's a package to be made where you're not selling Nick Madrigal, you're moving Nick Madrigal to try to get a piece back that you think just fits better. Um, or not. Or maybe uh, maybe Nick Madrigal is just the starting third baseman for the rest of this year, and then the Cubs look at it next year. Um, I still think it's interesting. Alex Cohen, when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, he said that he thinks Christopher Morale will eventually get a chance at third base. Um, certainly haven't seen it yet. Um, if he could play third base and play, I don't expect him to be great defensively. We all saw the throwing issues last year, but if he can play and be a reasonable third baseman with that bat, all of a sudden that's a, that's a good place for him. And then that gives you more flexibility at the DH slot, things like that. So more to come, it was a rough week. The Cubs start a series with the guardians at home tomorrow afternoon, um, um, Hopefully the Cubs can get right. The Guardians are not playing great baseball. You know, they're two games under 500. They are they have won seven in their last ten, but they you know, just recently lost. They're 19 and 22 on the road. Um, they're a very beatable team, and the Cubs I think are going to come in that series as favorites. They have Justin Steele going tomorrow against Paul Quantrill. That's certainly a, a matchup that favors the Cubs on Saturday. On Saturday, the Cubs hopefully have Stroman. He pitched a bullpen session today. I've not heard how that went. Hopefully, the uh, blister's okay. I don't know if he'll... It might not be the worst thing in the world if he missed a start, but th- they need it right now. If they, if they can get Steele and Stroman to go in the first two games of the series, that's huge. And then in the third game of the series would be Tyone against Savale. And that might be advantage Cleveland, but at that point, hopefully the Cubs have already won the series and are going for the sweep, but we know they play on sa- on Sundays, so... Get the next two, and then then you got a four-gamer against Milwaukee. That's going to be a big series. Um, If the Cubs can, it's at Milwaukee. If the Cubs can split, that's probably the floor of what you would want to do in that series. But if they could win three out of four or even sweep, well, they're right back in this race. So I don't think this Cubs team is going to quit. I don't think they're going to go into a mental tailspin. I think they're just not playing baseball great right now. And just like we saw. Earlier this season, you're hot until you're not, and you're cold until you're not. And sometimes sometimes there's a reason why you go cold. You have some injuries. Uh, maybe the London trip just disrupted things to some extent, but they could just as easily have been playing a normal schedule, gone to St. Louis for that series, won the first, lost on Sunday, and then come home and lose three to a pretty good Philly team. So I think this team will bounce back. They need to if they do rip off a... 11 game losing streak heading in the all-star break. That is where a GM or manager might get fired. That is where plans change and maybe they become sellers and maybe they do do something that disrupts next year uh, with Marcus Stroman. Um, I don't want to see that. I've said all along, you know, the Cubs are still right in the ballpark of where all the projections had them. I know it's, it's super frustrating when they look really good for two weeks and then they cool off again. But, this team was projected to win 74 to 80 games by most places. And that's kind of what they're in line to do right now. Um, With easier schedule in the second half or easier on paper, there's reasons to think that they're going to do more. And if they can do that, that's great. They'll have opportunities to get back in this race. But I think we all need to watch. Obviously we can't do anything. So, you know, we're, we're just talking here, but you know, I'm trying to keep a level head here. Take it as it comes. Um, tonight was pretty frustrating, especially the, the bad baseball and the bunts. But they need to get that stuff cleaned up and then see where it goes. But we're going to know a lot more about this team in the next two, three weeks. And we'll see. I would love to see. You know, sometimes you have a team like this that's capable of doing more. And then you just add that piece and it clicks. The Cubs are missing something. And, and we'll see. Say Suzuki missed his second game in a row tonight. Got some neck thing. Um, I'm fine with them. You know, the Cubs don't play their deep bench very often anyway, so I don't mind them Let given say, a couple days to get this out. But given the funk he's in, if his neck is not right and he's not feeling great tomorrow, I'd probably think pretty hard about maybe putting him on the IL to get it squared away. Just let him sit through the all-star break, um, get healthy, get right, let him go work on some things, and bring up like Nelson Velasquez and let him get some time in the outfield. Um, and then to give this... Line up a spark. They need some pop, so more to come there. Um, it's Fourth of July weekend, so I hope you guys all have a great time, enjoy time with friends or family, whatever you whatever it is you decide to do. Um, stay safe, be well, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts, or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPSPlus. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!